The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, would you open to James chapter three? We're starting a new series for the next four weeks entitled The Power of Words. The Power of Words. I've actually wrote this sermon series in 2015, and then I preached it again with some additions in 2019, and I'm just getting better and better at this, so I decided to do it again and make it even better. And so um, this is really important. This is an important series, and it's important for the Christian walk. Um, we're in a season of growth. We're seeing all kinds of wonderful change and transformation in people's spiritual lives, in families. We're seeing baptisms. You know, we had nine baptisms last Sunday, and we have eight more ready for the next baptisms at the beach already. This, there's just people who are finding themselves drawn by the Lord and, and seeing life change happen. And we want to get behind that and support that. But we also have an enemy. Do you realize that? We also have an enemy who's looking to target us, to stop us, to attack us, to discourage us, and to paralyze us in the mission and purpose of God. And the more committed you are to doing what God wants you to do, the more you can expect opposition. Can I get amen? And you add to that fact the reality that all of us are still in varying levels of brokenness, and there are some common elements and behaviors that can be very destructive to a church. And so in this particular season, I feel like the Lord's directing me to lead us in examining the power of words. So the book of James has a section in chapter three, verses one to 12, that really highlights the power of the tongue is the way he puts it. But I commend to you the entire book of James. If, if you're not a Bible reader, if you're not a Bible plan, uh, oh, find the book of James in your New Testament. It takes about 12 to 15 minutes to read the whole thing cover to cover. And I challenge you to just read it every day. Take 12, 15 minutes and read James from, from uh, chapter one to chapter six and just think about what he's saying. And I think what you'll see emerge is James is a very wise old pastor. He's very well-versed and saturated in the Old Testament scriptures. And he's writing for the success of the first century church. James is kind of like the mixture between an epistle and wisdom literature that you'll find maybe in Ecclesiastes or Proverbs or even Job. And he's kind of a sage. And so while there's some genuine practical help in there, you'll also see a picture of the power of God and his desire to give wisdom and good gifts to everyone who comes to him and asks. And so if you're looking for transformation in any area of your life, if you've been praying for wisdom or about direction or about overcoming something, James is a place for you to hang out. And we're gonna be hanging out in James for the next four weeks, particularly chapter three, verses one to 12, which is where I'd like to start before we jump right in. So James chapter three, verse one to 12. Here's what it says. Very sobering for me, you ready for this? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by, so, by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And if the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Yikes. 
It's heavy stuff. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We used to say, you kiss your mama with that mouth? (laughs) Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. God, we thank you for your word to us. God, we thank you that your word is powerful, that it is alive and active, that it pierces down to divide between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And God, your word is powerful to renew our minds, to convict of sin, to convince of righteousness, and Lord, to open our eyes and ears to receive the power of your salvation. So this morning, God, we put our trust in you and our expectation in you. God, we're, we're eager to be addressed by you. And so we pray, God, that you would soften our hearts to receive, and that you would fill us with power from your spirit to obey. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but is that true? No, it's not. That's not true. That's, a, that's garbage proverb right there. What I love about James is he's intensely practical, and he highlights for us in this section several illustrations that reveal to us the power of words. In this passage, we see four things that words do. And as we understand how that functions and what the power of our words are, our words, good for good and for evil. We can learn and receive help from God to do what he says, the one singular piece of advice, and that is to tame the tongue. The four things our words do that I see in this passage and others are to contain, direct, reveal, and connect. Our our words contain things. They're little containers that deliver one thing from one place to another. Our our words direct us like the rudder of a ship. Our words really actually reveal what's going on on the inside of us. And our words have power to make connections with us that are either life-giving or disconnections that end in death. James understands this and he understands the implications of the reality of words in a community of believers. And so over the next four weeks, I wanna look at these four components of what James describes our words can do. And I wanna start this morning looking at how our words are containers. Can somebody say contain? A key verse for you, if you wanna write this down, take a photo of it or a mental note, if your mental notes work, mine don't. Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, before we can start to consider the reality of the power of our own words, both for positive and for negative, for good and for evil, it's important that we start where the scripture starts, and that is with God himself. You guys realize we're not here on accident, 
We are not here by mere chance. This is not brute facts. You are not, um, you are not an accident of uh, a, a chance encounter with matter and energy. In fact, you are the special creation of God in his image, and he is eternal in being and power and has created us to reflect his characteristics. And so we get a little glimpse of what God is like through our own experience and understanding of self, but we need the words of God to understand his true nature so that we can think right and true thoughts and live right and true ways in our own lives. And this is what the scriptures do for us. This is God's gift to us. And you start in the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love Genesis 1, 3 to 5. And God said, you see how this whole thing got started? The power of words. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. He's giving names to things. He's applying words to realities. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then the repeated refrain through Genesis chapter one, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And in the fullness of God's divine revelation, as he spoke again and again and again, through prophets and priests and kings and poets, men and women throughout centuries. God continued to reveal himself for the purpose of giving life to people and salvation as they trusted in him. He made himself fully known in the person of his son, Jesus, who John describes using the same terminology of Genesis chapter one in his gospel when he writes, in the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus said of his own words in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so I wanna start drawing our attention to the power of God's words. Now you are created in the image of God. And so your words have power, but you are not God. I don't know if you guys tried to create anything this morning before you left the house. Let there be coffee. (laughs) And there was none. So we don't have creative power like God. We can't just speak things into existence, but being made in God's image, there is a reality in which our words spoken out loud or a revelation of our own heart. They direct the course of our lives. They connect us or disconnect us from other people and God himself. And most importantly, every word we speak contains something, something that leads to life or death. Proverbs 18, the power of life and death are in the tongue. Had me thinking about containers as I thought about this word. I don't know if you guys are like me, um, so we grew up in a big family and we didn't have leftovers. Uh, I remember the first time I was spending the night at a friend's house and the family said, I said, what are we having for dinner? And I was really excited about food, even as a kid. And they said, oh, we're having leftovers. And I was like, what is that? German leftovers? I've never heard of this. Like there's seven of us kids and we ate everything every night. So we didn't have leftovers. Uh, but so I'm like, really like whenever there's dinner leftover, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna eat that for lunch tomorrow. And so I, I fill up little Tupperwares with even just a little tiny bit of food. I'll put it in a little Tupperware. But inevitably, your plan never goes how you foresee. And so if you're like me, you end up with a refrigerator full of these little Tupperwares of leftover food. Anybody? Anybody? You're like, I don't even cook at home. I don't know what you're talking about. But we end up with these little 
this little thing, these little leftovers. And there's always that. Tiffany and I always have this um, debate about when we can eat the thing. She has this like three-day rule and I'm like an easy five-day person. I don't know. It's like, there's probably two groups of people in this room right now. There's the, after three days, you're like, I'm not touching that. And then there's us. We're like, well, just smell it. What does it smell like? You know, when did we make that? I don't even know. Does it smell? Like, that's the question. And so you have the sniff test. Um, but a couple of times already in the past six months, we've gone out of town and I know we're going to be gone for a week or five days. And so whatever's already in a Tupperware is not going to be fresh when we get back. And so I make it a practice to just eliminate all the Tupperware, just empty it all out and wash all the Tupperware, stick them in the dishwasher uh, before we go on vacation. Well, uh, the last time we went, I forgot to do that. And so we, we came home to Tupperware in the refrigerator. And so I'm doing that, um, that kind of like, you know when you're trying to decide whether you really even want to open it and check, you know? <laughs> and and uh, I'm like super cheap. And so it's hard for me to throw away, even dollar store Tupperware. I'm like, I could wash that and reuse that. And there was a couple things I was like, I don't even remember cooking that. <laughs> and so the whole thing just gets chucked right in the trash can, right? And I started thinking about, um, you know, you bring meals to people when they're, they have a baby or they're sick or there's some need and you, you bring in the Tupperware and you make this fresh, wonderful meal and you deliver it with love and care. And now imagine just for a second, you got it in your mind that you didn't want to waste all that old food after vacation. And so you were like decided, I'll just bring somebody a meal. I'll just... <laughs> I'll just, I'll just show up. They got a fresh little baby and I've got 14 day old salmon and rice, you know? And I don't want this to go to waste. Now, none of you would do that. I hope not. If you would do that, please don't ever bring me a meal. But we do really the same thing when we're not careful about the words we allow to escape our mouths. Because all of our words are containers delivering in small or large doses, either life or death. Do you know this? The scripture speaks about words that there's no kind of middle ground. There's no amoral use of language. Whenever we speak, we are doing one of two things. Our words are either constructive or destructive. Do you know that? There's not any middle ground. You can have, you know, ever take one of those quizzes where it's got like the three, you got definitely agree, definitely disagree. I uh, agree, disagree, slightly agree, slightly disagree, and then there's no middle choice. You know what I'm talking about? This is how your words work too. They vary in intensity, but our words either deliver a little dose of death or a little dose of life, and in each word we find power. Now, here's some examples of constructive power of of words. Uh, The truth. Everybody wants the truth, you know? And we want to be a church of the truth. I want to be a church filled with people who will tell me if I've got a little crusty crust hanging out of my nose. I don't want to talk to you for 20 minutes and then walk into the bathroom mirror and be like, that was there the whole time. We don't want to be a church where we just let a beetle crawl on our worship leader through the whole service. You know what I'm saying? We're going we're gonna to stop it and take care of business. You don't want to go to Chipotle and have a big old chunk of cilantro hanging out on your first date and she just nothing, just nothing at all. Just burn the number. That's over. No, why? Because the truth matters. Now, we, we want to be people who live in reality, in authenticity, who live according to wisdom and who are building trust with one another. Encouragement. I have a series called Encouragement Changes Everything. I strongly recommend you listen to it. I don't have time in this series to get into all the ways encouragement strengthen us. But when you are encouraged by another person, it alters your view of the future. You begin to see a brighter, more hopeful, expectant future than you would have before those words were communicated. Comfort and consolation heals the broken. Affirmation. When you just tell somebody, I see one of the values about you is that you are so 
positive attribute, fill in the blank. And this transforms the heart and mind. All of us think terrible thoughts about ourselves, many of which are untrue. And when someone else comes along and says, that's not what I see, it establishes our self-worth. Communicating affection, just telling someone you love them all the time makes all the difference in the world. And it comes back. I tell my kids I love them all the time. There's nothing like getting an unsolicited I love you from a five-year-old boy. Hey, dad. Yeah, bud, what you need? I love you, dad. That's the best feeling ever, isn't it? A little love boomerang comes right back around to you. And so we dole out affection. Give away love like you're made of this stuff, Bob Goff says. Correction and training. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be positive. You can point out someone's fault if you are showing them that I'm trying to help you be better. I'm trying to help you grow to be different. And I'm here to walk alongside of you. Respect. When we're just respectful in our tone with one another, it adds value and dignity. When we pursue someone that's hurt us to use our words to close the gap between us, that shows love and hope and builds friendship. And just praise. Just when you can say anything about anything praiseworthy and just say, that is good. That is beautiful. That is worthy of our admiration. These are all constructive. And we're going to talk more about these next week. But there's also the flip side of the same coin. There is destructive language. There's language that destroys every time we open our mouths. Deceit comes to mind. It destroys the relationship by seeking control. It dehumanizes the person you're hiding from so that you can control their perception of reality. Discouragement, down talking, mocking. This break people's self-worth down. This is why it's not okay to tease people and make fun of them. I used to use this tactic all the time to make many people laugh. I have one victim, and this is destructive. Even bragging, when you're drawing attention to yourself, you're building up yourself and putting others down and creating distance between them. Hate speech of any kind, although this was from 2015, hate speech is everything now. This sermon is technically hate speech to somebody. But I'm talking about racism, sexism, things that separate and polarize people through hate and animosity. Accusation, Coarse jesting, when you, say, when you tell dirty jokes, you're removing the dignity about, about sanctified things. It profanes the holy when we make fun of things that we ought to hold in esteem through crude jesting. Criticism uh, of other people, blasphemy, when you, when you talk as if there's no God or God's evil, it conceals the true nature of God and distorts people's perception of reality. And then lastly, and I think most importantly, gossip and slander. This is just sideways talking about people, about stuff that's none of your business, that you're just sharing facts or things that you don't like or things that someone did that are negative. And when those, those conversations happen, it destroys the relationship of you and the hearer, the person you're talking about, their perception of that person, ultimately the whole community. It distances trust from everyone. If anyone's going to talk bad to you about somebody else, you know they're going to talk bad about you to someone else. And so these types of activities are highly destructive. And I would, I would um, go so far as to tell you that you are largely shaped by a few formative voice, voices that communicated to you a number of positive and negative things. And you have personified a belief about yourself based on the words that someone spoke to you. I got teased a lot for being thin when I was growing up. Imagine that. I'm thin now. You should have seen me before I filled out. I turn to the side and disappear. Whoa, whoa, what just happened? People would always tell me I was gangly and thin, too tall. I used to hunch over and try to be 5'10". And I was just super, super insecure about my build. All through high school, in my 20s, people kept saying like, oh, you'll fill out, you'll fill out, you'll fill out, don't worry. Then I was 35, I was like, this is not gonna happen for me. I don't know when it happens for other guys, but, but not this guy. But it's nice when you're 40 and you wear the same size pants as you did in high school. <laughs> Joke's on you. Over and over 
And over again, those words start to create for you a self-personification of, of uh, to this or not enough that. And those words, if you believe them, they begin to shape you and shape your sense of self-perception. I remember when I was, um, I was tried too hard. I was not, not built strong like a lot of the guys I worked with in construction. And so I would over... I would overcompensate by carrying too much weight. And so we'd have eight foot planks and scaffolding and they would grab one little box of scaffolding and I would grab two. And then they would grab two and I'd throw two braces on top. And they would grab one plank and I would put two. And they would put two and I would put three. And they would grab one 60 pound bag of stucco and I would grab two 60 pound bags of stucco. And so I would just always have to one up everybody because, because at one point, my first day of work, my boss said, well, you're stronger than you look. And I was like, well, thank you very much. Took that little insult as a compliment and set the course for the next seven years of destroying my body. And now, now I have degenerative disc disease and fusing vertebrae in my spine. And now I'm fulfilling my childhood dream of being shorter and shorter every year. <laughs> Why? Because people's words have power, don't they? And so every word we utter has power to either build up, constructive, or tear down, destructive. And so we've got to really stop to consider how our words are containers of life and death. Really, every day, we are all involved in word logistics. Do you know that? Your mouth is like an Amazon shipment center. Things are coming in, things are going out, and you are navigating all of those things. My question is, have you stopped to consider what's in each of those packages? Have you stopped to consider, are you, through your words, creating an environment that is bringing life or one that is ultimately destructive and lending itself towards death. Now, I know these things are important and heavy. And so my, I mean, just, just imagine for one second how our world would change instantly if all deliveries stopped. No more Amazon trucks running around, no more UPS, no more FedEx, no more USPS. All deliveries stopped. Imagine how drastically and immediately our entire economy would be shaken everyone's experience, businesses grind to a halt. Now imagine for a second if we began to see our words as all of these packages and we just started throwing away all the bad ones. Imagine for a moment how your experience as a person would be and what your influence on others would be. And so here's my one takeaway for this morning as we consider words as containers. The most powerful thing you can do is to activate restraint. Somebody say activate restraint. You could also say it this way, shut your mouth, shut it. This is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Do you understand? Most of the destructive power of words can be halted if we will just shut up for a second and plug your ears on occasion. We're gonna to get to that in just a second. Paul said it this way, very eloquently, Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Shut the door on those words, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We'll expand the categories in that one verse over the next three weeks as well. And so I want us to consider creating for ourselves a standard of zero tolerance for all destructive speech, particularly the passing of rumors, gossip, slander, criticism, and negativity. I'm gonna be quiet for one second, let that hang out there. And I wanna remind you too, um, we live in a small town. You guys know that, right? I mean, it's not that small. We have like 60,000 people in Port Orange. 
Um, but I know like 6,000 of them. I don't know if you know that or not. And so on a regular basis, I get to hear pretty much all the things you tell other people about Christchurch. And I'm talking about you lurking online too. It gets to me. I don't mean that it bothers me. It doesn't bother me at all. In fact, it's one of the gifts that God gave me. I have essentially a broken sense of empathy. I literally do not care. It's been a real blessing in ministry up to this date. But it does get to me. The things you say make their way to me. Do you realize this? I once, um, in the first time I preached a sermon in 2015, I mentioned how I overheard a conversation in a booth behind me in a Panera Bread. And I said, I heard the nasty things that you said about me. And I didn't say who. You know what happened? Somebody came up to me afterward and said, I'm so sorry. And it wasn't who I was talking about. <laughs> and then another person did. Also not the same. How specific? I know in 2015, there weren't a lot of other dining options. Panera Bread was like the spot with Wi-Fi, you know, when you rewind the tape seven years. But still, I'm like, how specific is that? And so the reality is, is that when we let these negative words escape, they don't stop doing their damage at the first set of ears they reach. Do you realize this? The stories change, they alter, the tone gets picked up, details get added, and there is, there is just a ripple effect of negativity that can just destroy relationships. And so we get to hear about it. And so if you're getting uncomfortable and perspiring slightly under your arms, I'm talking about you. <laughs> this is fundamental to the heart and law of God. You know, the ninth commandment is not to bear any false witness. And each of these 10 commandments though encapsulate a whole chunk of the human experience. And so the prohibition against murder is not just, you know, everything is fine except don't actually take someone's life, you know? It's okay if you beat them half to death, you haven't broken the law. No, 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 no. Here's the farthest degree of wrong in everything under this category from, from not dignifying a human by, by treating them differently, as James will say, because they're dressed poorly versus showing partiality to someone who's well-dressed or wealthy, that's just the same as killing someone because you are, you are dehumanizing them through your judgment. And so each of these 10 commandments creates a category and covers a big triangular area. And bearing false witness has to do with speech and destructive and powerful speech. And if you read further on from Exodus 20, you'll see how uh, Moses opens these up, not completely, but in different ways. He goes, now we're gonna open this up and talk about different ways this applies. And so Exodus 23 is an expansion of the ninth commandment. And it says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not, listen to this, join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. He goes on to talk about, don't just go along with the narrative because everybody else is. So don't give testimony. Don't say, oh yeah, that's totally true. Have you seen it? Well, no, but I've heard everybody say it. That is no excuse, he says. And if you are going to add your voice to some negative perception, then what you are doing with having no actual information is you are joining your hands to wickedness through your words. That's powerful. Super, super, super important. And so it's important that as we expand our understanding of the scriptures and we seek to activate restraint and just to close our mouths, and this works wonders for marriages, by the way. Um, let me just talk to the men for a second. I know we're not known for being um, verbatious of having lots to say. We typically say less than women, but a lot of the stuff we say gets us into instant trouble in the first place. And if we would just think about what we are about to say before we say it, we would do our marriages a lot of good. Can I get an amen? 
You, have, you know that feeling when you wish you could put the words you just spoke back in your mouth? You could never feel that feeling ever again. Why are you so quiet? My, uh, my, son, my, my youngest brother, Cody, when he was five years old, my mom, she cooked for all of us. And so we ate a lot of potatoes and rice and pasta and, you know, big chunks of meat. And, uh, but she started like cooking Thai food and, and like experimenting with curries and different stuff. And she made this Thai curry pizza with like a peanut sauce on it. And uh, Cody was five and she gave everybody a piece of it. And he took one bite and he went, ah, oh, this is disgusting. And she said, Cody, if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything nice at all. And he slides his plate forward and he goes, Mom, I have nothing nice to say. <laughs> and sometimes that works just as fruitfully, you know? Just being honest to say like, right now, nothing good's coming out. So I'm gonna work on this a little bit and then we'll come back to this conversation, okay? And so we wanna activate restraint. Now, Think of some of the reasons for restraint. Look at the Proverbs. After the series is over, we're gonna spend some time in the Proverbs. I've ordered all of you a Proverbs journal. So I want to invite you to activate new ways of learning. And so um, in three weeks, I'm gonna have those out for you to take home. So make sure you come and get your Proverbs journal. We're gonna start that in July. But just look at this brief examination of some of these Proverbs about restraint. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 11 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. You ever have anybody keep your secret? You're like, I'm not nodding to that. Not in here, not right now. Sometimes we give ourselves this pass when we don't gossip, but we refuse to stop somebody who's saying bad things. And I've had this conversation with lots of people it's one of the values on our staff is we make sure everybody knows how we handle gossip. So if somebody comes to badmouth a person on the staff to a person on the staff, then we implement Jesus' clear teaching in Matthew 18 and we don't listen. We say, no, 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 let me stop you there because this is not how we deal with stuff. I'm not gonna hear that and then go on your behalf to do some mediation that needs to be between you and that person. I don't wanna get in the middle of it. I don't wanna to listen to what you're having to say. And so I'm gonna back out of it. And so we've had this conversation with our staff members again and again and again. A lot of people though have this, this, this let, get out of jail free card when it comes to gossip if they're just listening. Well, I didn't stop them, but I didn't share it with anybody else. But the damage is done in them and in you, even if it stops with you. Proverbs 17:4 says, an evildoer, listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. This is really important that we understand how important this is to God. Proverbs 17, nine, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 19, five, a false witness will not go unpunished and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue, Proverbs 21, 23, keeps himself out of trouble. And Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And so Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. You can read it later. You should be very familiar with this about what it looks like if somebody has an offense. If you have an offense with a person, you don't talk about it to other people. Jesus says, go and tell your brother. 
Tell him the fault between you and him alone, step one. If he refuses to listen, you go again and with another person. And so it's to and with and never about. This is the little phrase, we use it all the time. How do we work through problems as they come up? To and with and never about. Listen, a lot of the stuff that doesn't need to be talked about, you will talk yourself out of talking about because your only option is to go to the person who created the problem in the first place. And you go, no, I don't care that much. But if there is a problem, then Jesus directs you to go to the person. And if that doesn't go well the first time, then you go to with another person, to and with and never about. And if you read this passage, what you'll realize is that this requires courage it requires love, it requires hope, and it requires faith because these types of conversation require not just you and that other person, but God to intervene, for him to convict, for him to convince, for him to reveal, and for him to reunite and to reconcile. And so when you have this commitment, you are bringing God into your conflict resolution. And this will, gossip just destroys this because if you can just chatter about it, it makes you feel better then the destruction and the fire begins to burn. I almost brought a little candle up in here and then just like tipped it over on the carpet to freak you guys out. They're carpet tiles, I could replace them. Let's just start a small fire. You know what I mean? Just the people in the front row that would be in trouble. Because the reality is, is there's a right way to use these containers and there's a wrong way to use these containers. And when we let our words escape like fire, they are destructive. So um, I'm gonna give you guys an acronym. You ready for this? Because you're going to hear that I'm, probably by the end of the day, you're going to find yourself, because you're tuned in now, we're talking about gossip and slander and destructive speech. You're going to be on the receiving end of some, of some gossip or some rumors. Might not even be untrue. Just not, you do not need to hear it and they do not need to say it. Can I get amen? It'll probably happen today. Definitely by tomorrow. If it hasn't happened by Wednesday, you may be in a coma. Okay? And so here's the thing. Someone's coming to you and they're starting to talk and this is new for you. And at best, you're just gonna let them talk. And sometimes it's because you don't wanna hurt their feelings. I talk to, I don't, wanna, I, don't, I don't know what to say. So here's your thing. If you find yourself hearing gossip and having sympathy towards the person speaking, here's your acronym. You ready? Sympathy. You ready? Shut your mouth, please, and tell her yourself. Okay? Grab a hold of that one. Uh, it works for him also. Shut your mouth, please. You can be nice about it. And tell him yourself. Why? Because Jesus says to and with and never about. Listen, this will, this will eliminate so much drama out of your life. Do you know this? This will eliminate so much death in your spirit. And this will create an environment where just that level of restraint will allow the life that God wants you to deliver in your words to flourish. And so use God's truth to your advantage and watch how God shows up when you have enough faith to take him at his word. And so I wanna leave you with understanding God's perspective. We're not gonna have any music. Some of you guys are getting nervous. We're about to be done. <laughs> Psalm 101.5, whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Did you like that? You may miss, miss that one in your one-year Bible reading. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. And that's God's perspective on this destructive speech. And so as we look to activating restraint, I implore you to 
invoke God's help, like the psalmist does in Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Bring God into it. He's happy to help. Besides, he sees it all. He hears it all. A lot gets back to me. He misses none of it. Do you know that? And so ask him for himself. And I wanna ask you to imagine for a moment a world in which God's people had God's feeling about our words. Imagine for a moment if every interaction that every non-believer had with every Christian person, they only experienced the power of life. Imagine how quickly the reality of the character and nature of God would be seen if we would harness the power of words, activate restraint, and have God's perspective on negative and destructive speech. Now, you've maybe heard this acronym before. I'm gonna give you two. This is a very practical sermon. You guys aren't used to this. I'm usually not very practical. This is uh, the think before you speak. I've given this to you before, but this is really helpful. Think before you speak. Let this run, filter run through your brain. Uh, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if you get to the end of that list and you've hit any no's, then keep it to yourself. Now that's very practical, but I'm here to tell you that you probably won't be able to do that by yourself. But the good news is that you don't have to. Do you guys know today is Pentecost Sunday? the day the church celebrates the giving of the Holy Spirit to the New Testament church when every single person, regardless of ethnicity, age, and gender, received an outpouring of power from on high to walk with the presence of God within them? Do you realize that the final word was spoken when Jesus cried out, it is finished? And now his blood speaks a better word over you than the justice of Abel's blood called out against his accuser. Do you know that God's word has gone forth so that you might live? And God has made a way by his word to put his spirit within you who will speak to you and guide you and empower you, who will convict you and convince you and never leave you. You wanna to listen to an encouraging word, go to the comforter, go to the consoler, go to the encourager, go to the helper who will never stop speaking and will never stop speaking life. And so if you feel hopeless, wake up to the power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, he resides in you and he has the power of life and death, amen. God, I pray for every person in my hearing who does not know the power of your Holy Spirit on the inside of them. God, who has not received by faith the gift of salvation in Jesus, who has not submitted, bowed the knee to the kingship of Jesus and the lordship of Jesus in their lives, or who has not put their faith in you to receive the power of your Holy Spirit. God, uh, we can't be who you've called us to be without your Holy Spirit empowering us, without your sacrifice of your son cleansing us and forgiving us. And so Lord, as we seek to be people, as we want to be people who deliver containers of life everywhere we go, we need you and we look to you. We rely upon you, we depend upon you. 
And God, I pray that as we allow your life-giving words to enter our ears every day, as we look to your scriptures and we learn and listen and invite you to do your work in our heart, God, that you would build us into a people who delivers life-giving words to every single person we encounter and abolishes all destructive speech to the glory of God and the good of all people. God, do this work in us. We plead and pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.